Well, good evening, Kairos. I'll say, bless the Lord. If you'll say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Bless his holy name. Um, I'm Chris. I'm the pastor here. We're in the middle of a series called Halo Effect, One Change That Changes Everything. It's a study through Philippians chapter 2. But before we jump in tonight, I'm going to have Jacoby come and read our text in just a second. I just, just hold on. That wasn't the actual cue. I know you knew that. I want to catch up from last week because um, not only am I a pastor, but I'm actually a person. And I have to actually apply the things that we're preaching in here. Nine times out of 10, I'm preaching to myself and I hope you're overhearing it. So last week we talked about Paul was admonition because of the gospel of Jesus. We're looking at halo effect as a holiday survival guide. And going into Thanksgiving, we asked, what's one key change you wanna make that could change everything? Do you wanna move from being selfish to sacrificial, conceited to considerate, or looking to your own interests to looking to the interests of others? So I decided my one, my default is as an introverted avoider, when I get around my wife's 50 member extended family, I want to look to my own interests. What is, what is the minimal level of interaction I have to have with people until it's okay for me to go home and be by myself? Not the most Christ-like attitude. So I geared up and went, that's it. I'm looking to other people's interests. So Tuesday night after Kairos, woke up at 5 a.m. on Wednesday morning, got my son, because he was home from a field trip. Um, I got him to pack. He still forgot his khakis. That didn't work out very well. We finally got in the car, nine hours to South Georgia. I roll in with an aching back, stumbling through fatigue and exhaustion and the adrenaline leaving of trying to get out of town. Come in, say hi to my family. My brother-in-law looks at me, gives me a hug and says, Brooksy, we're going to do the turkey trot tomorrow morning. I said, brother, I haven't been running in over a year, man. I, there's no way I'm running in a race in the cold weather on Thanksgiving morning. I'm sleeping in, buddy. I got to gear up to look to the interest of others. Well, you can come watch me run. I thought, could I? Wow. I'd really love to get up at 5.30 in the morning, sit in the cold and watch you run. That'd be great. And then I hear my own voice. Look to the interest of others. I look at my wife to try to bail me out, and she looks back at me like, be a man and step up. All right, I'll see you at 5.30 in the morning. So we get up. It's in Tallahassee, Florida, so we drive another state over. I get to watch them on race day. Here's photographic evidence that I was there looking to the interests of others. <laughs> That's David. He's in his 30s. He's single and lives on 30A. I offer no other information than that. <laughs> Follow up at your own risk. So then we, I, we get home. I got up in an hour before we have to get dressed and go to Thanksgiving. I fall asleep on the couch. I start snoring. Wake up, and it's game time. All right, let's look to the interests of others. I start interacting with people. It's good. I eat, and my brain is going comatose after I eat. I'm shutting down. I'm withdrawing. I can feel it. I'm like, buddy, step it up. It's gospel time. So we take a quick picture with our family. This is us together. Um, I couldn't find the picture that had all 50 of everyone, but that's before it got real. So I go out, there's a canoe into the lake there. I grab some of the annoying little cousins and my kids, no distinction there. And I just start rowing them around. And they wanna row too. Guess what they do when they row? We go in circles. And I'm like, awesome, I'm so spiritual right now. So I'm trying to gear up for another three or four hours that I got before it's acceptable to leave. And my phone rings. 
And Simon, my son, is calling me. And he goes, Dad, can you take me back to Gigi's house? I'm like, uh, did you ask your mother? Uh, no. I said, well, go ask your mom and get the keys for her. And if she says it's okay, meet me at the minivan. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, my wife has given me a pass. Because I've been looking to the interests of others. She noticed how well I've been serving the family. She's going to let me leave early. I love following Jesus. This is awesome. Simon's waiting for me at the minivan. I decide to ghost all them suckers. I ain't saying goodbye to no one. It took all the energy I had to say hello to all you suckers. I'm not saying goodbye or getting guilty stares or getting shamed by Gigi for not staying for nine hours and gossiping. So we roll up on out of there. Whoop, whoop. I get home, put on the sweats, put on some football, and I'm falling asleep, and all of a sudden, my phone rings, and it's my wife, and something tells me, this is too good to be true, and you're in trouble, buddy, and I did what any confident Christian husband would do in that moment. I let it go to voicemail. <laughs> she did not leave a voicemail. She called my, phone's, my son's phone. Hi, Mom. Yes, he's right here. Hey, babe, what's going on? Where are you? I'm at your mom's house because you said I could go home, right? <laughs> no. What do you mean? Simon didn't tell you he wanted to leave? No, he just came and asked for the keys of the car. I didn't know what he wanted them for. <laughs> Simon, you... <laughs> do you want me to come back? No. <laughs> That's how I misapplied the sermon over Thanksgiving break. So I'm just like you, I fail gloriously even when I have the best intentions in the world. Woke up the next morning and figured God's grace is new and I'm gonna redeem myself. I looked at my wife and I said, I'll take three out of the four kids home by myself because when they get together, they're like pull pins on a grenade and you better jump on them. So I said, give me the three toughest ones, I'll take them, we'll leave early, you can go spend time with your family members who you didn't get to see and just come home whenever you're ready. Awesome. We're not three hours into that road trip, and all four of us, myself included, are harmonizing with complaining, arguing, and grumbling. I'm tired. I'm hungry. I'm bored. Me too, of you talking and whining, right? All, all grace has gone out the window. I'm just barricaded up trying to make it home. And then it's like, my back hurts. That one was mine. I peed my pants, also mine, because <laughs> when my back hurts and I want to get home before Waze says the approximated arrival time, I'm going to make it. And there's sacrifices you have to make. <laughs> it was as if in that minivan, Peeves the poltergeist and Moni Myrtle had a love child and it demonically oppressed all of us and turned us into sniveling little grumpy complainers and all of us were grating on each other's nerves. And I thought, dear Lord, what has happened? And then I remember the text we're getting into. And Jacoby's going to come and read it. And all of it is going to surround this one verse that I know is written directly for me tonight. And I'm going to invite you to overhear it when Paul says, do everything without grumbling or complaining. Let me pray for us and then Jacoby will read our text. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Jesus, we need you to go before us in this text and make a way. And together we say, speak, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. Okay. 
reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining bright like lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run this race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a drink offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Do everything without grumbling or complaining. Well, that's giving me something new to complain about. Here's, here's what I'm going for. Let me go ahead and uh, reveal the big responsive obedience act of worship that I'm asking us to do as a congregation at the end of this talk tonight. I am calling for a corporate week-long fast from complaining. To see, <laughs> to see, oh my gosh, now I have something else to complain about. Um, what would it look like if this one change could change everything? Can we make it one week as the people of God and the children of God without complaining? And it's going to be difficult because here's why. Here's some social science research. Uh, First of all, Dr. Laura Markham, clinical psychologist from Columbia, reports that the average adult complains 30 times a day. I'm above average. Great, 40 or 50. (laughs) Travis Bradbury, author of Emotional Intelligence 2.0, reports that most people complain once a minute during a typical conversation. And he actually goes on to say it's causing brain damage. He decides that scientists... Um, they describe that when your brain associates thoughts and patterns of behavior, they say neurons that fire together, wire together. Repeated complaining rewires your brain to make future complaining more likely. Stanford University has now shown that complaining shrinks the hippocampus. Yes, I've said hippocampus two weeks in a row. I'll go for three next week. (laughs) But literally, that is the area where critical problem-solving and intelligent thought is located, complaining shrinks it. This is scary if you realize that's one of the primary areas of the brain that Alzheimer's affects. Complaining also releases the stress hormone called cortisol in your brain. Cortisol shifts you into fight or flight. Repeated exposure to cortisol in your brain impairs your immune system. You're more susceptible to high cholesterol, diabetes, heart disease, obesity, and it can make your brain more vulnerable to strokes. This is why we need to engage the whole person with the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. Grumbling and complaining is not only hurting you, it can literally kill you. Now, I'm sure the Apostle Paul did not have access to research like this. What he had access to was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he was a keen observer of human behavior and trying to star a spiritual family called the church. And he knew this. If we were going to build our lives on that firm foundation, the one thing that could compromise the structural integrity was complaining and grumbling 
and arguing. It's like releasing a thousand verbal termites that go unseen but are causing unspeakable damage. Complaining when it comes to our families and the family of God is like death by a thousand paper cuts. Have you ever wondered why paper cuts hurt so much? Actually, there's some research on this. First of all, when your finger is cut, it's not sharp like a blade. Paper is actually rough and serrated. It also doesn't go deep enough in the skin to cause a lot of bleeding, which means it can't clot, which means it can't heal quicker, which means it leaves exposed nerve endings sensitive on your finger to damage longer. Men and women, if we're trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in this world, every time we complain, it's death by a thousand paper cuts. And it's restricting the hands of service we were designed to offer. But I'm just venting. I, I get it. I'm not trying to argue for suppression of emotion or not talking the truth about how difficult things are. What I am saying is complaining is this. When we blame others or life instead of assessing the situation and taking responsibility to make things better. Complaining is a way that we remove responsibility and ownership, and instead of accepting responsibility and sharing in joy, we blame and shame. And therefore, we have no right or responsibility in changing ourselves or the situation. Some of you may go, well, Chris, I'm not a complainer. I'm just a realist. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, realism is often cynicism in disguise. And Henry Nowen says this, cynicism is a form of darkness calling out more darkness. And my question to you is, if you were to look at a transcript of everything you've said this week, how much darkness are you calling forth? Because in a sense, it's prophecy about how inadequate and insufficient you are to the task and how things will never change. And so therefore, you have an excuse to continue in, in unhealthy habits and unhealthy behaviors. But Paul says in this text, there's a different way to live by the power of the gospel. This is not you motivating yourself, disciplining yourself simply to try harder so that you can earn God's respect. The gospel is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. What happens if we work in the light of the finished work of Christ? So he says here, because of the gospel, and this is one verse that was huge to me for about 10 years of my life as I battled through unhealthy attachments. God is working in you both to will and to accomplish his desires. God not only gives us the will, but the desire and the power to do what he desires. And what would it look like if we decided to go on with this text, man, I've been chewing on this text like South African biltong, okay? What is that, you ask? It's beef jerky, but better. Get familiar and thank me later, okay? It's so flavorful. There's so much in it. I'm trying to hold myself back from telling you everything that excites me about this text. But he's got this one, two, three punch combination afterwards when he says, do nothing without grumbling or complaining. He says, work hard, live clean, and share joy. What does it look like if we actually go, you know what? It's time to do work in my spiritual life. I want to show the results of my salvation so that we shine like the stars in the heavens and a corrupt and perverse generation would look and point and say there's something different, intoxicating, peaceful, and centered about the way that you live your life. It's not perfect, but it is categorically different from what I see every day of my life. He says, work hard. Then he says, live clean. And then he says, hold firm. 
hold firm to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Men and women, maybe if we let go of some of the lies that we've been carrying around for the past 10 years, we'll have more of a grip to embrace the truth about who God says we are. Then it's possible to share joy with one another. Not just share blame and shame. Not just share all the excuses about why you're not living the life God's intended you to do, live, but to step up, step out and step in to what the gospel says is possible for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. And the only way we do this is because Jesus went before us and he made a way. He worked hard while he was on earth. He had a job. He apprenticed himself, learned to trade. And then when he was doing ministry, man, he said, I can only do what I see the Father doing. That guy did ministry at lights out pace, right? He's constantly retreating to be alone with his father. He had a day of ministry. He was so tired, he fell asleep in a boat during the middle of the storm. That's a brother who's working hard and lived clean. He says he was tempted in every way that we were tempted and yet remained sinless. He held firm to the mission and message of the gospel that Jesus was bringing salvation to here, even when it cost him his life, all so that he could share the joy that him and the father shared and we could participate in on it. I was talking to a worship pastor, a buddy of mine, and he said he was constantly found himself complaining about the state of Christian music. And he said, I had razor sharp arguments. I sounded really profound. I cut certain things down. And finally, I had a friend who loved me enough to confront me about it. And I said to him, hey, I hear you criticizing a lot, but are you doing anything to contribute to making a change? I wonder what it would look like for us to take a seven-day fast on criticizing and complaining and replace it with contributing. Because here all is, what's in the middle is you simply care about something. And one way is a way for you to relieve yourself from the responsibility of taking action and ownership. The other way invites you into partner with God and be the change that he wants to see in this world and set the kingdom of God down in someone's midst. And here's what I found. Here's a little bit of parenting advice that I have to take for myself because I, I got two kids that can complain like nobody's business. I, I got one who hits a high-pitched voice and it just feels like sandpaper down my spinal cord and I start twitching. And, and, it, and I have to do all I can to stay true and present and loving and faithful in that moment. It's the easiest with my youngest, Christopher, because he's still the baby and is still kind of cute. Daddy, I'm hungry. I want a dessert. Okay, buddy. <laughs> but I do. Uh, somebody changed the channel for me. Oh, my gosh. We've created a monster. But he'll kick up into that whiny voice. And when I'm at my best, I'll get down on my knee and say, hey, son, lock eyes with me for a second. Find your real voice. Because that ain't it. You are strong, you are brave, and I want to empower you to make a decision. Now find your real voice and tell me what you want. I want something to eat. Good. Let's go find some options together. I will help you, but you will partner with me. Men and women, let's find our voice. Let's find our voice that steps into darkness and brings light and says what we really want. Because God says, my desires will be your desires, and I want you to be the change that you want to see in the world. And if you care enough to see what's wrong, then I'm going to empower you to step into it and bring about a gospel solution. Even if it doesn't change your circumstance, it can change you in the midst of your circumstance. Amen? So let's take 120 seconds, and let's find our voice together. 
What does it look like? I want you to answer this question as we practice reflective prayer and listening from God. First of all, what is the thing that you are most prone to complain about? What triggers it the most in you? Or maybe just think over this past week, what did I complain the most about? Second question I would ask you, and these are great questions for you guys to ask each other in the car ride home. Why do you care so much about that? What is the care that you're complaining is camouflaging? And then I would challenge you with this. Think of a way over the next seven days as we declare a corporate fast from complaining. What's one way that you can contribute making a change in that area? What do you complain about? Why do you care about it? And how can you contribute to making a positive change? Same power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives within us. So maybe we can die to complaining and allow the Holy Spirit to resurrect contribution. Amen? So think about that. Find your voice. And then we're going to find our true voices and sing together as a congregation who's grateful and generous and giving because of what Christ has done for us.